Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. I am coming to you today from my home near Blaine Lake, Saskatchewan on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis. I am really looking forward to today's conversation. I have with me Pamela Huerto, who is a dietitian and works really broadly in the field of sustainability and food systems and local food. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation and to diving, uh, diving in a little bit more to what Pam does. So welcome, Pam. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for letting me be part of this project. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So just to start us off, um, I would love to share with our listeners a little bit more about who you are, the work that you do, and maybe a little bit about the journey that led you to this work and where you are today. Uh, well, I, I think like a lot of your guests, it's kind of been all over the place, but um, I have spent the last six years living and working in uh, the far north of Saskatchewan, so the most remote northern communities that we have, top five up there. And um, food security was a big, big part of my role as the health promotion manager during my time there. And it, and I guess I've also kind of been trying not to define people by their job titles as much. So I was going to throw out a few other things <laughs> that uh, that fall under uh, my definition, and that would include a computer programmer. So that was my first career, dietitian, black belt, certified master gardener, uh, crafter, uh, forager, <laughs> and lately a YouTube educator. So that's really where my, yeah, my new uh, focus has been. And that stemmed from my previous work uh, when I was way up north. It was, it was kind of funny getting used to the, the new job and trying to learn about the Denny people up there. A lot of people just kind of implied that they were allergic to vegetables and that their 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 biological systems just couldn't process them, which uh, as a dietitian I questioned. Um, and and they are a big fans of caribou and of berries, but they didn't really enjoy much else. But I was pretty sure they had in the past, so it really led me on this journey of of um, learning more about traditional foods and the wild foods that were available around us, which is extra important because um, most people can't afford vegetables up there either. So it was just looking through that lens of what was affordable and culturally sensitive and, and available to people. So um, yeah, it really, <laughs> really launched that. And then about a year ago, um, I realized that people were interested in it and I split off um, my social media accounts and made an Instagram account and a Facebook account focused more on using wild foods. And I, um, used the name deep woods dietitian. So that was just kind of like a little side <laughs> project, but, uh, these days I'm leaning heavily into it and I've launched a YouTube channel. So we're yeah putting content out and <laughs> hopefully it's, it's, uh, helpful and interesting to other people. 
I love that. Okay, well, we will be sure to link um, all of your the Deep Woods Dietitian accounts um, <laughs> to this podcast episode because I know that's something I'm really curious about as well. And when I was, I, I spent um, six months actually living and working. Um, in the Yukon for the Yukon Department of Environment. And at the time I bought a book called The Boreal Herbal. And I was learning a lot about, yeah, such a great book. And and it was sort of my first (laughs) foray. Yeah, my first foray into, um, I mean, obviously growing up on the prairies, I I knew that there was lots of wild foods that that we could eat. But um, that was my first sort of real connection to just how much, like how bountiful and plentiful, um, you know, our surroundings are. And I now sort of live in the Aspen parkland region of Saskatchewan. So it's sort of that transition zone and kind of relearning again, all that is here in, in my surroundings in terms of food and things we can eat. And um, yeah, it's, it's quite an amazing process and thinking about how, you know, as people, how we live and, and what we think of as sustainability, you know, we that concept of like a hundred mile diet. Um, my husband and I joked last winter because we had lots of rabbits around um, and, and we were snaring rabbits and, eat, and eating rabbit. And we were talking about how, you know, we're living where we live. There are times of the year where you could almost stick to like a hundred meter diet because <laughs> there's just so yeah. much in your surroundings so yeah that's very cool I've been thinking that too I was like yeah <laughs> never mind 100 miles <laughs> yeah 100 meters. 100 footsteps from your front door kind of thing yeah. yeah yeah I love that um and I appreciate what you said too Pam about um you know not defining ourselves by our job titles I I do struggle with that as well people will ask me what I do for a living and I kind of explain all of these different pieces and and I just some days I wish I had just a, a specific title or thing that I do and then I also think well maybe life would be pretty boring if that was if that was the case um so I appreciate that you shared you know there's this variety of things that that you do um but I would I'd love to dive in a, a little bit more into you know the the deep woods dietitian piece and and foraging and sort of how you sort of view um, so I guess I'll preface this question. We we typically ask the question of sort of how you define the term sustainability or how you think of it. And the reason for that is we've, we've kind of actively been using the podcast as a living definition of the term sustainability because it can be pretty complex um, and people use it in different contexts and for different reasons. And so um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your perspective on the term sustainability or how you think about sustainability and then sort of how you incorporate that into your work. Um, yeah, well, I've listened to a lot of the podcasts. And so I have to say the guests have built a pretty good definition of sustainability. Um, but I was going to add that I, like, to me, I feel like it's balance, right? It's, it's the gives and the takes and keeping things in check, uh, particularly with that future forward thinking and not just like short term. So that would be my addition to the growing, (laughs) the growing definition there. Um, and as far as how it applies to what I'm doing, well, I think, you know, I grew up on a farm and so I was always close to nature and plants and like, I always wanted to know more, but it was, it was difficult to learn, I guess, back in the day. These days, it's like, there's so much accessible to us. 
And, and so, yeah, this just was the nudge that I needed to like really delve into it, you know, get the books and the apps and the everything. And, and now that I have, like the more I learn, like the plants, once you can name them, they, they basically become your friends <laughs> and are for me. I was called the plant lady up North. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a geek, but um, you know, and, and the more you know about like your surroundings, the more connected you are to it. And, and the more, I think you can, you can see that give and take in your, your environment, because if you, if you're just like, oh, that's just a patch of weeds, or you don't even bother to look around, it's really hard to stay in balance with what's going on around you, in my <laughs> opinion. So I think it really just, it helps to connect once you know your bioregion and the things that are in it. And, and, you know, more, you don't have to eat it necessarily, but the more you learn, knowledge is power, right? And um, I was reading a book and actually one of the things that I found really interesting was they said, uh, you know, we put all these, these herbicides and stuff into our crops to kill 80% of those weeds that, that we're working at killing are actually edible and nutritious food that humans could eat. So that's not to say that it would be just simple and we can just harvest chickweed and lamb's quarters and, you know, stuff with our normal combines it's obviously it would take a big shift but it's interesting that we're like destroying food to make food <laughs> so I don't know. food for thought yeah <laughs> for sure I've been getting a little better at that with plants in my garden um and recognizing edible weeds um and not and not pulling them because it's like okay you know my lettuce lasts for 36 seconds before it bolts, especially this year, um, with the heat. And it's like, there's other weeds in quotation marks, um, that grow and they're plentiful and they don't get bitter. And they just have this natural ability to stay delicious all throughout the season. And I'm picking them and throwing them in my compost. Meanwhile, my 37 second lettuce doesn't last very long. So, um, I'm trying to be well, more yeah, conscious of that myself. <laughs> my my dad and my uncle are obviously farmers so they just like shake their head and they're like what are you doing but it's so hard now that I know that I can eat all these other plants so, like weeding my garden is just this <laughs> crazy difficult thing on, on choosing what to pull and toss or compost when there there's so much potential there <laughs> yeah for sure I let a lamb's quarters grow in my garden and it's like it's taller than my sunflowers it's like massive <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. I actually, um, so if you've listened to other podcasts, you, you might've heard, heard me chat about this, but um, my husband and I have honeybees. We keep bees. And um, mm-hmm. especially, especially this year, because of the drought, um, I we're like hyper conscious of when things are flowering and the season for flowers this year was so, so short because it was so hot and everything just flowered. And then that was the end. Um, and so we had family here this weekend and we have a little, we, we live on a tiny little lake and we have a little beach and, um, the beach was right full of thistles and the thistles were, you know, half as tall as me, but I didn't pick them because I knew they were going to flower, And honestly, aside from thistles, the past two weeks, there's been nothing for the bees to forage on. And so I left these giant thistles on the beach that everyone kind of had to navigate through my forest of thistles. But I'm like, I'm sorry, this is 
this is literally the only flowers that they have right now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and it's been a hard year. But I mean, the thistles and the dandelions and things—they they maybe didn't do wonderful this year, but they do a lot better than the stuff we're trying to grow. And yeah, my new yard <laughs> also full of thistles. <laughs> so. Uh, my uncle was like, can you eat those? I'm like, yes, <laughs> you actually can. I just did an episode on it. So, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that one out because that'll give me a little bit more ammunition um, to not pick them. Because <laughs> currently I was just very much just thinking about the bees. So I need a little bit more, uh, a little bit more to not pick my, my thistle forest. So. <laughs> Yeah, they actually smell really awesome too. I never realized that until this year. Thistles have a really great scent. <laughs> so there you go. Homemade okay. deodorant. More you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, so Pam, you talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, with your work in the north and and um sorry I forgot the name of your title when you were doing that work but kind of doing that the health promotion or or sharing throughout communities um is there a bit more that you can share about that I think that's really interesting and important work from like a a knowledge perspective and and sort of I'm sure you learned a lot too from from people and communities but sort of that shared knowledge and, and some of the work that you did with northern communities Oh, it was, it was huge. And I worked on so many fun projects, but um, yeah, the title was health promotion manager, but honestly, it was super, super broad. And I did so many different things. Um, My job description, actually, it was kind of a running joke because in the job description, it said my, my position was to prevent premature death, (laughs) which we thought was, um, yeah, a bit ambitious, a little, a little broad. Um, (laughs) Big goals, <laughs> big goals, big goals. Yeah, I didn't, I don't know that I achieved it. Hopefully, a few, but um, a big focus was on gardening. So, when I got there, we did pallet gardens and then um, ended up introducing vertical gardening to the north. So, over 230 garden towers in the end uh, to different households and classrooms. So, that was really cool. Um, it's, it's one of those things where people are like, yeah, why don't they just grow their own food up there? And literally there's no soil, right? <laughs> like Stony Rapids is named that for a reason. For a reason. <laughs> so it's all clay and rock, um, which was, yeah, really a shift for, you know, a farm girl to go up there and realize that there wasn't much that, that would grow. Um, but these, yeah, vertical towers, they had a composting tube down the center so that, uh, you could do vermicomposting with the earthworms and they would feed nutrients back into the, the soil, into the plant. So it was this great little ecosystem and with grow lights, you could bring it in indoors and then obviously have stuff all year round, which is pretty cool. Um, and trying to think, uh, we, we got the funding for, a women's shelter very near the uh, the health complex. So when they were building that, I made the mistake of saying, well, we should have like a therapy garden with, you know, fruit trees and, and garden beds and uh, this cob oven stove and stuff. So I kind of ended up with that project in my lap, but it was, it was really nice. It was a lot of work, but it was really quite amazing when it was done. And there's still, uh, I just saw 
their berry crop there the other day. They sent me photos and the women were doing a cookout and stuff. So that was a pretty good one too. And um, last summer, I mean, the pandemic kind of uh, cut down on a lot of our events, but um, managed to fly up Eleanor Hegland, uh, who's a traditional knowledge keeper and land-based educator out of La Ronge. And uh, we did these walks in the woods with uh, different uh, groups and communities and stuff. And so that was really amazing because it did actually bring back a little bit of that, that knowledge. People remembered, oh yeah, my grandma used to, you know, use spruce cones when we had sore throats or, you know, like there was some of that knowledge trickled in and that was really nice to see because I think a lot of it has been kind of lost or forgotten. And, and so while we still can, you know, it's nice to, to see it come back a bit and, and the interest that people had, cause uh, it was, yeah, again, COVID, but <laughs> it was a pretty well attended event in, in all the spaces and, and nice to do something outdoors. So when well, we've all been so cooped up, <laughs> um, I don't know. Were there any other projects that you're aware of that you want to know more about? <laughs> no, that's, that's great. That's an awesome sort of sampling of the different things that you're working on. Um, yeah, I love, I love the, the sort of healing garden project that you mentioned. I think that's so, again, we think about when we're building, um, I, I've been working on a few projects recently with communities building infrastructure, building a health center, building um, a lodge, building you know, whatever. And we, we think about the structural side and kind of forget about what's outside of that building and how the building is set up within the environment. Um, and I think kind of spending some time to think about the surroundings and, you know, how do we landscape to make things more like that lend itself to food security, but also maybe like water retention and all of these different things that um, allow us to Yes, the building is not a natural part of that environment, but there's ways for us to design to sort of create a part of the natural environment around us again. And I think that if you look at our urban centers, right, we just, it's pavement and heavily watered lawn and non-native species of plants and trees. We've kind of completely gone away from what would have been or could have been our natural surroundings. And you're starting to see that sort of shift again, um, I think a little bit, but it's, mm -hmm. it's nice to have those examples of sort of, you know, looking at it being a bit of a food forest or something that people can spend time in, learn about different plants and also have it be a, a more beneficial part of the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Um, so you talked a little bit about your, your sort of, um, you know, yourself and your gardening and, and foraging. I'm wondering if you could share like a little bit more about that. A lot of our listeners are kind of looking for ways um, to live more sustainably or be more connected to sustainability in their day-to-day -day life. And a lot of, for a lot of people that's more or less accessible, but I'm just wondering if you can kind of share any sort of tips or, or things that you do in your own life that sort of allow you to live a little bit more sustainably. Um, well, again, I feel like a lot of the guests have covered so many good ones, but um, 
as I mentioned, vermicomposting with the earthworms, like that was really uh, a good way for us to use our scraps, uh, particularly up north. Um, we have a little worm factory. Uh, and then, yeah, as far as just making the most of, of the things that are in our, <laughs> in our hundred steps from our house there, right? Like the, I think, you know, one thing that's super accessible to people is the dandelion. Like the dandelion is amazing weed and you can eat pretty much every part of it. Um, you know, it, it gets so much hate and you obviously have to be sure that you're not like getting it from a place that has been sprayed, but hopefully your own yard, you know, what's going on there. Um, like the petals can be used in jellies and uh, well, wine is a popular one I haven't actually made, but I have an amazing cookie recipe, oatmeal cookies with the dandelion petals. Um, you can use the greens. Uh, if you harvest ones that are like a little younger and in the shade, they have less bitterness because that's one thing that people tend to think um, of with the, the greens. And you can actually buy the greens in Sobeys. I've seen them there. So like, can you imagine going to Sobeys to buy dandelions? <laughs> to me, it's just a little bit crazy, but it shows, you know, that, uh, yeah, they're there and people will eat them. And then even the roots, like uh, you can dig those up in the spring or the fall and uh, clean them really well and then roast them and they smell like chocolate. It's just amazing. And uh, yeah, make cocos like or chai teas out of them. It's just so cool. So that's, I think, I think it's a good starter plant for people. And as far as like, like other advice, I would, I think um, Amber from Miwasan there talked about the Seeker iNaturalist apps, like apps like that you obviously don't want to rely on them only like don't eat something just because it tells you it's this, but um, they can really point you in the right direction and like help you learn, you know, is it native? Is it not native? Is it, um, you know, it sends you to Wikipedia and you can look up more stuff and <laughs> figure things out about the, uh, the plants in your environment and just, yeah, learn one or two at a time. It doesn't have to be everything at once. Yeah. It makes for great. <laughs> I love that and I love yeah the dandelion example is such a good one right like it's it's I mean I don't get me wrong I love going to the gym but I was just going <laughs> to use this as an example you know we get in our cars and then we drive to the gym and then we drive home instead of like you know we could just go for a walk or go for a run or go you know <laughs> do that same distance and just be active yeah, in, yeah. in that and you think about the dandelion right like people are buying dandelion greens at the store when probably if they weren't yeah. spraying their lawn there'd be the same amount of dandelions <laughs> there naturally like I know our lawn I mean we live uh you know in the bush on the farm or we never planted lawn it's just a cut it was a hay field and and brush and we just cut it and now it's green and it's lawn um and the yeah. lawn dies right like the grass itself because yeah. you're cutting it dies but everything else the clovers the dandelions the the um little bits of alfalfa that's left that like it stays green even throughout this drought it looked beautiful um yeah. and because those plants are hardy and resilient and so I imagine people's front lawns like if they weren't out there with their fork digging up these dandelions <laughs> that they don't want on their lawn um most of your lawn would probably be dandelions like eventually because they just yeah. outdo the lawn <laughs> and and they're green and they're actually like they were a super prized crop that were brought over here on purpose like they went feral but <laughs> dandelions 
actually were prized <laughs> at one point or by certain people. <laughs> so go yeah. figure, but yeah. Exactly. At one time we loved them. Now we hate them. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, it's hilarious because yeah, like my husband mowed the lawn and I'm like, no, my dandelions. I wanted the big rose. <laughs> so it really changes your perspective once you start caring about the weeds, but <laughs> yeah. And I think I read in a book once about um and you mentioned cocoa. So maybe this is along the same lines, but roasting the dandelion roots and using it as sort of like a coffee or part of your coffee or things like that. And um, yeah, I just think, I just think that's so cool. I consider it a coffee. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, well, this has been such a great conversation, Pam. I want to make sure folks, you you mentioned this a little bit, but I want to make sure um, just as a way to, to leave us off that folks can connect with you um, through your social media and your YouTube. And I'm really looking forward to learning from you through those, <laughs> those avenues. So um, could you just share like, how, where's the best place that people can learn a bit more about you and, and reach you or follow along with your stuff? Oh, well, I tried to make it pretty easy to find me. So Deep Woods Dietitian. Um, is the yeah the youtube uh, deepwoodsdietitian.com is the website deepwoodsdietitian got or um at deepwoodsdietitian is my instagram and facebook so yeah if you just pop in those words you should be able to find me and yeah i'm pam so you can double double check that but <laughs> <laughs> awesome that's so great i'm looking forward to following along because that's one of my actually you know what through covid you know, social media has its pros and cons for sure. And I'm conscious of overusing it. But through uh, throughout the pandemic, I feel like I really like I had this community of folks like gardeners and, um, you know, people who are doing sort of homesteady type of things or doing little projects in their backyard or renovating something. Um, I feel like I, I kind of built this little community of folks in, in the province, some of who I knew and some I didn't, um, but built around these things that, that, um, you know, I was passionate about and could still stay connected to despite not being able to, you know, go to a conference or meet someone for coffee or things like that. So I look forward to following along and learning from you. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for having this conversation with me. It was was great. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. And thanks for taking the time to to be here, Pam. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.